Welcome to So What Sustainability, a podcast series by Apricot Consulting. I'm your host, James McHugh, one of the leaders in the corporate social impact team. In this series, we explore leading trends and provide practical advice about environmental, social and governance issues and opportunities facing business and society. Introducing our topic today, we're talking about circular economy. And circular economy is a business model and practice that ensures waste materials is managed more sustainably. A circular economy seeks to reduce our reliance on primary materials, opting instead to reuse and repurpose where practical. It therefore allows materials to add value multiple times across their life cycle. It not only creates opportunities for organisations to minimise their waste cost, but also benefits the environment by reducing the amount of waste ending up in landfill, reducing water waste and the use of toxic chemicals. The concept is simple enough, but executing on the promise of circularity is much more challenging. So to discuss this topic today, I'm joined by Cameron McKenzie, founder and CEO at Aspire. So welcome, Cam. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks, James. Thank you uh, very much for, for having me on board and looking forward to the conversation. Um, Cam, firstly, tell us a little bit more about Aspire. So how does it work, uh, the sectors that are using it and the types of materials that's been exchanged using your platform? Yeah, no problems. Well, Aspire's been around for quite a while now. It actually comes from CSI Rowan Data 61. But at the end of the day, we're a platform um, that creates end of end of markets or new markets for surplus materials. Good way of putting it. So, um, a prime example of how it works: um, we've got an organisation that was throwing out, like I think it was about eight or nine thousand dollars a month of agricultural products, perfectly good fruit and vegetables that were would just go to destined landfill. They're too big for the supermarkets. Anyway, they listed that onto the platform and uh, within, I think, six weeks, we got those costs down to about $1,000. Um, so, again, that was direct savings to the businesses. So, business A, upload the resource. Um, it goes through the algorithm match that CSRO built and it matches with businesses needing those resources, okay, so and it matches those streams. Um, yeah, and basically um, we, we're resource um we can have we've got over like 200 different resources on the platform. So it can be construction, demolition products. Um, we had, I think, about 52 items of furniture exchange in one day not long ago um, that came out of a, um, a government building. We have uh, e-waste or perfectly good like laptops and, and screens right down to spoil. Um, you name it. We have metals. Like you, you think about it, we can we can exchange it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we've got a few other things that sort of entice businesses, especially when it comes to some of the ESG goals that we've built into the platform. Um, but at the end of the day, what we do is we help businesses with alternative modes of throwing things out and, and hopefully create new revenue streams for them. So I provided a short definition on what the circular economy is at the start of the the episode, but perhaps you can expand on it a little more, and, and in particular, how you're seeing circularity create value. Yeah, good point. So, you know, you, you could do a quick Google of what's circular economy. Um, Alan MacArthur Foundation, they've got a really good definition on it. But end of the day, it's all about reusing, repurposing materials so they don't end up in landfill or to waste. 
And there's several ways that you can do that. And a lot of that is too about designing out the waste aspect of those products moving forward. Um, and a lot of sort of main fundamentals of um, circular economy and what people are trying to do is obviously you circulate these products so they don't end up in landfill or go from person to person. So reuse, repurpose. Um, a prime example, I told you about that furniture, that earlier example. So that furniture was destined for landfill. Um, they're going to get rid of it and basically they match with a, I think it matched with a school who took that and are currently using those furniture items. So that's perfectly good, good, good um, example of reuse there, right? A repurpose. Mm -hmm. um, we have, you know, that agricultural products. That other example we talked to you about. Um, so that's repurposing. So they turn that into um, dog food, right? So again, that's repurposing and creating value. So that's a good, good, good prime examples of circular economy. Um, what was the second part to that question? How, how do we see, um, how do we see it sort of evolving? I think. Yeah, and creating creating additional value, which you've touched on a little bit, but yeah, maybe yeah. if you can elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. So, um, so traditionally, businesses they pay a lot, or it's a line item in their P and L for waste disposal or getting rid of products. And what we try to do is we try to intercept the businesses then and try to get them to list it on the spire, because believe it or not there will be a solution for someone to take it obviously maybe for free or to buy it at, at, at a certain product at a certain price okay um and also too like that's that's the financial value but there's also a time value aspect um i'll give you a, the best way to probably explain it james is give you examples how transitions happen yeah. on the platform we had um several tons of seaweed that that washed up on a beach on a high tide prime example right um, and one of the the organisation listed that onto the platform, and I scratched my head, going, "What's going to happen with this?" And we actually found a match within within about, I think it was about 100 metres or 200 metres away from it. So there was an organisation who needs that seaweed for um, input for fly larvae, right? Because it's nice and clean, it's organic, it's everything they need. Um, and that lady there, she used to spend three or four days a week driving around trying to find these organic products. Mm. She found a, a direct supply 200 metres away from her, 100 metres away from her house. So she gets her time back, efficiency goes up, as well as her margins because she's not driving around and she gets it for free. So mm. you know, there's there's different ways that you can sort of see there how you can create value around the time and around the um, value as well as the innovation aspect of it. What have been the key drivers accelerating companies to adopt circularity? Well, there's there's a good question. There's probably um, probably pre-COVID the, the the push wasn't there. It was a nice to have. Um, hmm. Also, to probably pre-COVID, there was a lot around um, the the why, like why are we doing this? Why are we being circular? But now it's a big push of like how do we do it, which is great. Um, and also another real reason, obviously, I think it's regarding the ESG connection too around it, um, you know, because like obviously organisations like Apricot, um, you know, they're, they're fully behind or they see the vision how circular economy can help these businesses be more sustainable and go towards those their ESG reports and goals. Um, so, again, that's sort of a, a key driver. But, um, but when it comes to sort of the smaller organisations, um, there's only two real main reasons why you get these two businesses or the businesses to change their behaviour. Um, I used to think it was money and time, 
right? But it's not, it's actually how you can improve their efficiency, right? And how you can improve their margin. So if you can actually help them with those two, right, and, and use those two drivers, um, it accelerates sort of any business to be more circular moving forward. Um, so, Cam, on this podcast series, we often talk about ESG, providing broader business value. Do you think business is looking at circularity seriously enough as a value creation opportunity? Um, honestly, no, not yet. Um, I think a lot of businesses are, are pretty much stuck in that consumerism, um, having to buy sort of a lot of sort of materials or, or they're in, they've got old processes that are, are no longer feasible and no longer um, financial financial viability moving forward. So um, I think basically some businesses, like you, you get some of the larger companies that um, say the 100% recycled plastic in their bottles and a few things like that, um, but you really need to be looking at uh, the material breakdown of those actual products. That's a pretty bold claim. It's a good marketing claim, but you really need to go down and have a look and see if that, that happens. So I think a lot of businesses now, they used to think, of, of circular economy is a good marketing ploy, right, to get more people to buy their products. But now they're getting tested a lot more. Um, and as soon as they get found out, you know, they get in a lot of trouble. You think about um, like the Red Cycle is a prime example here in Australia, mm. um, the debacle that sort of happened there, um, you know, and that was, you know, it was a good initiative. But um, end of the day, everyone's sort of responsible for what happens at the end. Mm. Indeed. And, uh, when you think so, so clearly we've got some serious challenges, and you're talking about companies that are making bold claims, and now there's accusations starting to come up about greenwashing, and um, there's auditing and things like that that are coming into this space. But when you think about the progress, perhaps that is being made towards circularity, um, how far do you think we can go, and perhaps which industries do you think will have the most difficulty moving away from a from a more linear model? Um, yeah, another another good question. Um, I think when it comes to the transition, I think the proof's in the pudding. Um, obviously, you've heard of BlackRock. Um, yeah. I think last year they did a nine hundred million dollar fund for circular economy businesses. I think, and I think that's almost doubled this year. Um, I know it was 900 million US. Um, so basically, and they and they pretty much allocated majority of that. So I think the big push from corporate is that they get it and they know that they have mm. to do it. Um, so you know, there's that incentives there. Look, it's like anything. Um, you know, the carrot and the stick. If you put some money, good money, incentives in it, people are going to change it. Um, and one of the benefits of that is all the impact. What they're doing is it's called it's compounding, right? So. The, everything, the transition you do with an organisation for the first 12 months is going to be the hardest, but you're compounding that interest. You don't have, you don't have to learn to do those learnings again. I'm going to have to do that again. So, you know, you, you can put 50% of the effort back into that the next year, but you've got um, twice as much of the output. So, you know, you think about the compounding interest of, of businesses changing, but when it comes to businesses, who's going to be the less, um, probably the less, interested in the change would probably be the older organizations or the more established like you think of mining they want to be there but they but they i think they probably need a little bit more direction um you think of like oil and gas um they're very linear moving forward but you know they can be so much more circular i've seen it 
face to face. I've seen big, I've seen big oil companies. They hoard a lot of the materials that they could share with other businesses, but they don't. They hoard it because it's, um, it's what they want to do. So I think that's um, a big change. But I, one of the biggest influences, as you know, is probably the micro, um, small to medium enterprises. So from the under ten businesses, because unless it's going to save them money and they can, you can show them right now, they won't do it. And the micros and the SMEs are 80% of the businesses in Australia, right? So they're the guys that are a big influence. So they're the guys that probably need the most assistance um, for the transition. And you're touching on the SMEs and really driving transition or the opportunity for them to drive this transition. Perhaps um, if you can also speak to Ken, Maybe where you've seen, and perhaps it's through the Aspire platform, where you've seen companies transition to a more circular model um, and doing it at scale. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we've got an organisation in Queensland called, it's called Morton Bay, it's a recycling firm, and they do some really, really great great stuff when it comes to circularity. And one of the things that, how we've helped them is basically we measure a lot of the resources that go through their business. Like they do 10,000 tonnes of concrete that we measure a month, well, even a week, I think, through the platform. But with that, we can provide information and documentation to show them how well they're doing and give them a baseline, right? So that's super important because no one, a lot of people can be a bit um, hesitant, but if you give them a baseline, something that's not going to scare them, you know, they're more more enticed to, to go ahead. Um also, also, too, probably um, companies that I've seen probably be more receptive and be more supportive of it is like these consultancies, I think. Um, like I know, um, like Apricot, you know, especially over the last probably 12 months, that the push to bring circular economy and that visualisation and, and how it can help their, their organisation, not just with the ESG, but, you know, financially, I think, you know, they're going to be the game changers, right? So they understand it, they push it, and they've got those powers of influence in those big organisations. So they can push to the top-down model. Um, so, yeah, organized, you know, they're doing quite a lot. Um, we've got, I'm just trying to think, we've got, you know, we've got over 2,000 businesses on the spire that trade, um, and we see some small tonnages that are really big wins, right, and we see some big tonnages that are even huge wins. But... Um, I think the ones that we get are the ones that um, I like when we when we interact with, with the social enterprise. I think that's probably the best because um, end of the day, like if we, you know, can help these social enterprises hire one or two more people, right? Our job's done. Like you can make all the money in the world, but you know, end of the day, you want to you want to keep these people employed, these new Australians, or, or, or you know, Australians that haven't fallen on hard times, right? So, you know, and if we can um, help these organisations hire one or two or three more people, well, that's, yeah, that's my job done, right? So, um, but again, um, it's all how we can sort of help and activate those supply and demand markets to get the transition, so. Cam, it's been a terrific uh, conversation. We're coming up to the end of our time. Uh, just thinking about, you know, what the takeaways that I'm going to take away from this conversation. I think first one is, Ken, that uh, it will require behaviour change. We have to think about new ways to 
um, to deliver value through our waste streams. And that requires, yes, firstly, understanding the concepts, having the business case there for it, but also being able to actually put into place new ways of working. Um, the second one, I think, is we talk a lot on, on this podcast about opportunities to create shared value. Um, and there's, I think, very few or, or very few better ways to create shared value than to share resources and to share, in, in this case, uh, waste. Uh, one man's treasure is a, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure, and this is really putting that into practice. Um, and then finally, you touched on a little bit there about the digital innovation that's coming into this space as well, and, and Aspire being really at the forefront. You know, as we know, data uh, drives innovation, and uh, the more data that we're able to capture, the more that we're able to speak to the opportunities that can come from both you know, creating environmental and sustainable value, but of course, financial opportunity as well for organisations. So that's the, I suppose, the three things that I'll be taking away from this conversation. Um, so thank you, Cam, for joining us today. Uh, to our listeners, please be sure to check out Aspire's West website. You can do so at aspiresme.com for more information or check out Cam's LinkedIn and we'll be including the links in the show notes. For more information about Apricot Consulting, please visit us at our website and subscribe to this podcast series. You can also follow me, James McHugh, on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us on So What Sustainability. Sustainability.